Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. As a result of the tzimt, God's ability to contract himself, we sense that we have the sense of separateness, sense of independence, sense of disconnect, which can take on many different levels. There's one level where a person senses there's an I. He acknowledges God, but there's an I. You know, God is the Almighty, the Supreme Being, the Omnipotent, the Omniscient, but I am also somebody. God is the big body, but I'm, I'm a somebody. But that sense of I, that's the root and source of idolatry. That arrogance, sense of ego. But then you have, on a lower level, where the tzimtzum is so intense, the disconnect is so, is so pronounced that the person doesn't even acknowledge there is a God. Doesn't even acknowledge that there is a cause. Fine, you're not, you don't worship God, you're not nullified before God. But at least acknowledge there's an original cause. But then there's a symptom, a level of a symptom where a person is so disconnected that he doesn't even acknowledge that there's a speaker. There is no cause. We're just here. Why am I here? I don't know. I don't need a why. I don't need a justification. I am, period. There is no builder, and there is no author, and there is no artist, and there is no writer, and there is no, there's no creator. There's no cause. I am, period. That's literally, I doubt, when a person worships himself, worships his own mind where God is not even part of the picture. I'm not for God and I don't deny God. <laughs> it's simply not part of the equation. God is so, so, so much not a factor, I don't even have to deny Him. It's irrelevant. What God? When God? It doesn't mean anything. God is simply not a factor, not a reality. All there is is ego, I. Where do we come from? I always was. I always will be. That's why we can't accept death. From an ego perspective, that's the way we feel. We were always here and we always will be. Maybe mentally, intellectually, we can conceptualize the world existed without us and the world will continue to exist without us. But emotionally, psychologically, we sense as if we are the beginning and the middle and the end of the entire universe. We're selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. It comes natural. Six billion people. You don't have to go to school comes in all languages you know, to go to school to learn to be egotistic. So the disconnect is so powerful, is so intense, that we feel no connection. We don't even feel that there's a speaker. The words are like a life of its own. Where did it come from? I don't know. It just is. It didn't come from anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It just is. It's a reality. It's a fact. In order to internalize godliness, in order to be able to express godliness, you have to be nullified. You have to be egoless. The more egoless you are, the more transparent you are, the more the divine energy is able to flow through you, unhindered. But the more egotistical and arrogant you are, the more you trap and you exile the divine spark, that divine life force. And divine life force can't express itself. And you cannot internalize that life force. And therefore, instead of, instead of you internalizing it and it refining you, 
it actually becomes counterproductive. You just become more arrogant and more egotistical. You're not a vessel, you're not a vehicle in order to receive, to absorb divine light. It's just counterproductive. Which is the reason why Yitzchak could not bless Esau, give him the blessings. He thought that if he's going to shower Esau with holiness, with intense holy blessings, maybe that will redeem Esau and that will release the sparks. But the truth is, Esau couldn't handle it. Esau couldn't digest those intense and those powerful blessings. He didn't have the vessel and the vehicle. It's like instead of eating food, digesting it and swallowing it properly, and then the food becoming part, internalizing the food and becoming part of your bloodstream and giving you strength, it's like you swallow the food without chewing and digesting it and it just gives you a stomachache. It doesn't do anything for you. On the contrary, it just creates a problem. So instead, it wouldn't have done anything for Asa. It wouldn't have refined him. It wouldn't have elevated him. It wouldn't have transformed him. It wouldn't have changed him. On the contrary, he couldn't digest it. He couldn't internalize it. On the contrary, it would just... It would just it would just trigger and become trigger a greater level of arrogance. Look how great I am! I receive I receive such blessings. It would only distance him and cause him to become even further away from from godliness. So the spark is trapped. It's an exile. It has no way to express itself. There's no vessel. There's no vehicle. The being has no vehicle. Is not a vehicle and a vessel to receive godliness. And the, and the godliness that it does receive, everything must have godliness to create it, to sustain it, doesn't do anything for it, doesn't refine it, transform it, elevate it, on the contrary. So the, the divine spark is trapped in a very painful, agonizing exile. And that's the idea of the Shechina, when you talk about the Shechina as an exile. Instead of the Shechina, the presence of God being felt, and the Shechina radiating, and you feel the Shechina, you sense the Shechina, you sense God's presence, and you sense holiness. Instead, all you sense is arrogance, ego, I. And God is totally obscured. And anything godly, and refined, and noble, and genuine, and deep, and spiritual and authentic is totally buried, submerged, under coarseness, under arrogance, and it says, arrogance is the equivalent of idolatry. God says that I can live with the Jewish people even while they sin. Because God is infinite and His patience is infinite. So even when a person sins, God can still live. We don't, we don't kick him out. But God says, show me an arrogant person and I can't be in His, in his cubits, in His four cubits. I can't be in His presence. He hasn't sinned. But if he's arrogant, God says, I despise him. As infinite as God is, infinite as patient is, God says, I despise this person. I can't be together with him in the same room. So why is that idolatry? Why is arrogance like idolatry? What's the connection? As we explained earlier, the, the unity of God, the existence of God, is not only that God exists, or that God is one, but the belief that there's no other reality out, except from God, outside of God. So idolatry is the moment there's ego and there's a sense of self and independence, something outside of God, that's already a denial of God because the reality is there is no other reality but God. So the moment you sense that there's anything besides God, you sense yourself as an independent entity, as a self, as an independent entity. 
That alone is idolatry. That is a denial of the reality and the unity and the existence of God. So that's the root of idolatry. It's not the literal meaning of that. The literal meaning of idolatry is someone who denies God. He believes in two gods. He's pagan. Or he denies God altogether. He's atheist. Denies God altogether. Or even worse than atheism. Atheism at least, at least you're denying God. At least you're dealing with God. At least God is part of, part of your, your vocabulary. Then there's a level where God, you're not even an atheist. I'm not for, I'm not against. God is simply irrelevant. I am a self-made man and God is simply, simply not part of the equation. I have no need for God. God forbid. But that's the lowest level of idolatry. But what's the root? What's the source of idolatry? The root and the source of idolatry is ego. Arrogance. Independence. Self-sufficient. Disconnected from God. That sense of self, self, that sense of ego, that's the beginning of idolatry. As the Talmud says, that they call God, they refer to God as the God of gods. God is the supreme being, is the God, the original cause. But we are the effect, we are the miniature gods. Right? God is created in man's image. <laughs> God is perfect intellect. God is perfect love. God is perfect, the perfect human being with no flaws. And we are miniature. We have intellect, but it's not as perfect as God. We have emotions, not as perfect as God. That is idolatry. Or you believe in God, not you're denying God, but you believe that God is a being, and you're a being. God is a great God, and you're a miniature God. God is the cause, and you're the effect. That is idolatry. Because the truth is that the world has created something from nothing. We are nothing. We are inherently nothing. And even when God creates us, we still remain nothing. Because we're nothing other than the, than the, the divine energy that's constantly creating us. So it's not like God is bringing us into a state of genuine existence. Even when we exist, we don't really exist. In other words, our existence is nothing other than the, the, the divine energy. That's our substance. There is nothing else. It's not like we become a, a true existence. Independent existence. We are constantly dependent on the divine energy that's the constantly, constantly bring us into existence. So we're nothing other than the divine energy. We're just an expression of God's creative energy. That's all we are. So our very core and essence, our very being, is nothing other than the, the, the divine energy. So it's not like God is God and we are something. All there is is God. There is nothing else. There is nothing other than God. In the moment we sense a sense of self, of ego, of I, separate, independent, we have our own agendas, we have, a, we have something outside of God, separate from God, independent of God, that's already a lie, a distortion, and that's the root and the source of idolatry. That's the beginning of idolatry. And it's, it's, a, it's an astonishing miracle. Each and every moment God has to create us, something from nothing, and to constantly continue to create us and to sustain us, because we really have no reality independent reality in our own anything, anyone that acknowledges that, that is the definition of holiness anything that doesn't acknowledge that, that doesn't express that, that doesn't sense that that is the antithesis of holiness and although we all feel that we are alive we all feel that we have an energy, a life but we don't sense that the life is a divine energy we forget of the miracle of life. Life is a miracle. Only God can create life. 
All the scientists in the world can create the life of a fly. Life is a miracle. It comes from within. It's not a mechanical event. It's not something you build with building blocks. It's not a technical mechanical event. Life comes from within. Life is an astonishing miracle. Only God has the power to give life and He gives us life. But we don't sense the miracle of life. We just take life for granted. We sense that we're alive. We sense an energy. We want to be, we want to be energetic. We want to be energized. We want to feel energized. And we feel life. But we don't make the connection. There's a total disconnect from life and from the divinity of life. The divine aspect of life. The miracle of life. The totally astonishing miracle of life. There's a total disconnect. If we were living in a sane world, People would be building stadiums in the maternity wards after work. Everyone would come rushing to the maternity wards to see the miracle of life instead of watching some silly, silly, uh, silly games. Or, or, or the library. People would be running to the library to study wisdom. <laughs> but we don't sense, we don't make a connection. It's a total disconnect. That's a total disconnect. It's like we have blinders on. Like we're deaf and dumb and we can't see blind, deaf and dumb, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't... We don't make a connection. We see life and there's no reaction. Like, so what? What do you mean, so what? Life, it's a miracle, it's divine. Existence, it's a miracle, it's divine. It's inexplicable, it makes no sense. Nature is inexplicable, it makes no sense. It's, it's, it's divine. It's a, it's a total disconnect. So the definition of holiness is that there's no disconnect. Godliness is transparent. You feel it, you sense it, you are nullified before it, you are humbled by it, you're elevated, refined, transformed and changed by your encounter with godliness, by your very being and existence, by life itself. That's the most intimate encounter you have with God himself. So it humbles you, it changes you, it elevates you. And then you have klipa, it's like a shell, disconnected. You go through life, the miracle of being, the miracle of existence, the miracle of life, God? What God? Does God even exist? And so much so, until you reach a level where God is simply not even part of the equation. <laughs> While your whole being is God, there's nothing else but God, and you're in total denial. This is such a disconnect. This is the, actually the ultimate expression of God. Only God can create such a paradox, where your whole being, your whole essence, is nothing other than the divine. Everything about you is, is the most astonishing miracle. Life itself, being, creation, existence. And yet, a total disconnect. Till you can reach a level of total denial. I'm a self-made man. What does God have to do with anything? It's almost absurd and ludicrous. To deny even that God is the original cause. It's so absurd. It's, 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 it's almost insulting. But that's just... The aggressive nature of nature, aggressive atheism, where God is simply not part of the equation. So this is the definition of Klippa versus Kedusha. Kedusha is holiness, where you sense God, and you become intimate with God, and you surrender to God, and you become more elevated and refined, more genuine, and Klippa is the exact opposite. The root and source of it is the sense of self which leads to many different levels. And the lowest level is we're total denial of God. God forbid. So much so that God is not even part of the equation. God becomes so irrelevant to anything. 
my personal life to my behavior to my conduct to my daily life to, to anything it just becomes totally irrelevant my for my against not, not part of the picture arrogance denies the absolute essence of God arrogance is I ego anyone who is arrogant who senses himself as being apart from God he can be religious very religious very knowledgeable but that sense of arrogance of holier than thou and arrogance that sense of ego of I is a contradiction and a conflict with the very essence of God that is idolatry it's denying the true reality of God the true reality of God is no other reality but God so how can you feel arrogant and egotistical how can you feel a sense of self who, who is the self other than God separate from God independent of God in holiness, you sense yourself as being a an expression of God's creative ability. And therefore, your whole life becomes holy and godly. Your whole life is dedicated to worshiping God, serving God, leading a godly life, fulfilling your divine mission in this world, bringing godliness into this world, changing the world, elevating the world, engaging in the world, and transforming it into a holy place. Everything is godly. You're on a mission. Everything in your life is permeated with godliness. From the act of eating, the act of sleeping, the simplest, most mundane act. Everything that you do in your life is really focused and dedicated to, to godliness, permeated with godliness. There's nothing else. You don't have any other agendas. God's agenda and this is my personal agenda. My whole being, my whole essence is nothing other than an expression of the divine. There is nothing else. But the moment you become arrogant and you have your own agendas and you have a sense of self apart and separate from God, even though you haven't sinned, you haven't done anything wrong, God says, I can't stand this person. It's idolatry. Talmud is not playing with words. It's not just telling us how, how, how abhorrent arrogance is. It's telling us that arrogance is idolatry. It's the root and source of idolatry. You're not bowing down in front of any idols and you're not denying the unity, the, the reality of God. But it's idolatry because the ultimate reality of God is there, there is no other reality but God. So the moment there's a sense of self, a sense of ego is separate and apart from God, that is idolatry. That is the root and source of idolatry. So now that we understand what is the ultimate meaning of the unity of God, the mitzvah of believing in the existence and the unity, and we know that the opposite of it is idolatry, now, we'll continue uh, next time in the next chapter. Now he begins to explain what the Talmud says that the why the first of the Ten Commandments, they heard directly from God, that these two commandments contain the entire Torah. Because every time you fulfill a mitzvah, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of believing in the unity of God. And every time you transgress any of the 365 prohibitions, it's in a subtle way that is the equivalent to idolatry that was the question he posed earlier on what's the connection how can you include all the mitzvot all the positive mitzvot under the heading of believing the existence and the unity of God and how can you include all the prohibitions in the heading under the heading of idolatry not to, wor not to worship idols but with this introduction of the deepest and ultimate meaning what does it mean we believe in God and the unity of God not only that there is one God, but that there is nothing other than God. And once we understand this very clearly, and what is the meaning of idolatry? Arrogance is idolatry. Any sense of ego, any sense of self, that is idolatry. So this concept is not just a Kabbalistic concept. 
it's, it's a concept that's really hinted in the Talmud. The Talmud says whoever is arrogant is the equivalent of idolatry. And the only explanation is with this, with this understanding, with this concept of the idea of the unity of God. That the unity of God means there is nothing other than God. God is one. There is only God. There is no other reality but God. Only with that concept could we possibly understand the statement of the Talmud that whoever is, is arrogant is the equivalent of idolatry. Otherwise the Talmud makes no sense. What's the connection to idolatry to arrogance? A person could be very religious. He can know the whole Talmud backwards and forwards. And he hasn't sinned once in his life but how can you say, call him an idolater? And God says, a person who sins, I can live with their sin. God says, I live with the Jewish people, I dwell with the Jewish people, even when they're impure, even while they're sinning. No problem. Find me someone who's arrogant, and God says, I can't stand in his four cubits. I can't be together with him. He hasn't sinned. He's, all he's done is mitzvah, but he's arrogant. God says, I, I hate this person. Can you imagine God saying that about someone? The holier-than-thou arrogant person. Because what is the meaning of belief in God? If God is just an abstraction, I can believe in God, worship God, and worship myself. <laughs> At the same time. I worship God a little more than I worship myself, but I worship myself too. But if you understand the true meaning of the unity of God, and you, you realize that there is no other reality but God. And you internalize it. And you absorb that. And you receive it. And you appreciate it. And you sense it. Then you rise above your ego. When you rise above your ego, you rise above yourself. Then you become a vessel for God. Then you become one with God. Then you, you are connected with God. That's the definition of holiness. So there's no arrogance. There's no ego. There's no superiority complexes and holier-than-thou attitudes. I'm better, I'm closer, you're... there's no ego, there's no I. And every Jew has the same holy spark, and has that same holy soul, and that same readiness, holy potential, in the moment of truth, every Jew is ready to give up his life for God. Every Jew has that same level of holiness. How can I look down at another Jew? I have a sense of arrogance and holier than thou attitude. So this is this is what the Talmud means, that arrogance is the equivalent of idolatry. Because this is the root and source of all idolatry. Of course, there are many levels. There's a level of idolatry, you acknowledge God, you worship God, but you worship yourself too. God is God, but He's God of many gods. I'm one of them. Then you have a level where you can disobey God. You deny God. Or God has become so irrelevant that you don't even deny God. He's simply not, I'm a self-made man. What does God have to do with anything? I didn't ask him. I didn't ask for his help and, and I'm on my own. And, and uh, I don't need him. And it's totally irrelevant. I don't care if he does exist. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Total denial. <clears throat> How can a person be in total denial? Where does this psycholo psychological symptom come from? A person can be in total denial about himself. So it all originates when you, when you are in total denial of God. You all, God is all-encompassing. God is sustaining you and creating you at this very moment. The truth is that we never left God. And all, we're absolutely unified in the absolute unity of God. But we're in total denial. So much so, we even deny that God even exists. Many people deny God, God even exists. When you're in total denial about the most basic core truth, your truth, 
God is your truth. Your basic denial of your core truth. You think you're not going to be in denial about the other things and areas in your life. You'll be in total denial. That's where we have a situation, a situation, a generation of total denial. When we're in total denial about ourselves, and total, totally deluded about ourselves. We're deluded in denial about something that touches the very core and essence of our being. You think we're going to be in touch with reality? We're going to be in touch with other people? We're going to be in touch with the reality around us, even in touch with ourselves? You can't. But on the other hand, the more humble you are, the more in touch you are with your core and essence, which is Hashem, then the more in touch you'll be with yourself, the more honest you'll be with yourself, the more in touch you'll be with yourself, the more in touch you'll be with the people around you and the world around you. So the believing Jew who's really conscious of his holiness is really the one who's most in touch with the world around him. The most down to earth and the most in touch. That's why the Jewish people have survived for 3,800 years. We're all the mighty Romans and Greeks. Where are they? All forgotten. Footnotes in history. Blown away by the wind. And yet the Jew has never left. Because the Jew is firmly planted in this world. When you're not in denial about the deepest, most important truth in your life, which is Hashem, then you're not in denial about yourself. You're in touch with yourself. You're in touch with the people around you. You're in touch with the world around you. You're down to earth. You're real. You're grounded. And, and, and that, that's eternal. That's indestructible. But if you're in denial of God... And you're in total denial of yourself, delusional, and total denial of the people around you, and total denial of the world around And that's why whatever you're building is castles in the air, which won't last, can't last. Look at what happened to the mighty Romans and the mighty Greeks. Vanish, poof, communism, poof, gone. But never existed. Because it's castles in the air. There's no reality. Atheism, denial of God. It's delusional. God is our truth. There is no other truth. There is no other reality. So if you're out of touch, you're in denial about the most core truth, your truth. So out of touch. You have it so wrong, so distorted. If you can't think straight in one area in your life, in the most important area in your life, the area that hits home most, your own being, your own existence, your own reality, if you're not in touch with your own reality, with the reality of God, which is the core and essence of your being, how can you be in touch with anything else in your life? Then it's just building castles in the air. And usually when there's no room for God, there's no room for anyone else either in your life. <laughs> they usually go hand in hand. Person who has room for God also has room for someone else in their life. Person who has no room for God has no room for anyone else in their life. It's, it's, it's too crowded. There's only, <laughs> there's only room for one. <laughs> one absolute being, and that's myself, me, myself, and I. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky